Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first 29 verses here in just a moment. Uh, if you're visiting Christ Church, we're glad you're with us this morning as we're going to look at a passage from this series, as Maggie explained, called The Gospel. My name's Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers, and uh, we are grateful that you're with us here this morning. Uh, we are in week 26 of our series, looking at who Jesus is. What I want to tell you is that there are three different kinds of sermons, if I can flesh them out that simply. There are the sermons that we get to tell you from a text in the Bible who you are in the eyes of God, that you're loved, that you're valued, that you're important, that he sent his son for you. And we normally dig those sermons because they encourage our hearts. When the world's not so nice to us, we understand the love of God is a healthy thing to think about. The other kind of uh, sermon text are those that tell us that we've got, we can do better, that there's sin in our life and that there are certain things that we need to overcome by God's power and live better lives. And for most of us, we, we look at those and people are strange because they love to be told they're wonderful, but they don't always believe they're wonderful. And every now and then, people in church like to be kicked in the shins because it makes them f- for somehow feel like, I don't know, holy remorse or something. So people are like, well, you really gave it to us this week with a smile, which I've never understood. Today's text is neither one of those. I'm not going to tell you that you're loved by God, but you are. And I'm not going to tell you that you're a sinner and that there's areas in your life that need to be brought before the Lord in His holiness, and that's true too. I'm going to give you the toughest kind of sermon, and this is the one that tells you there's something you need to be doing. And in a busy culture where idolatry of our time is one of the greatest idolatries we have, uh, this is going to be a tough message to listen to. It feeds off of where we were last week. If you weren't with us, Jasper Rutherford uh, from Belfast, Ireland spoke here. And no, I can't do his dialect. I've been asked all week long. It was an amazing sermon. You going to start talking like an Irishman? No, I can't. Except I picked up one word. I'm now going to officially from this day forward call him the Holy Spurt. Because that's exactly (laughs) what Jasper did last week. Over and over and over. So the Holy Spurt is now going to be a term we use here. No, not really. What he did was he talked about new wineskins, and he brought up a truth that I'd never seen in the text before, because I didn't know. I thought if you had an old wineskin that was brittle and couldn't hold new wine, you'd throw it away, but they didn't dispose of it. They nurtured it. They refabricated it. They put oil and water into it, and, and they massaged it so that it regained its flexibility, and that teaching of God is not predictable, God is not programmable, that God is going to do the work that God wants to do, are we open to it? That message last week is necessary for what we're going to talk about today. It just feeds one right into the other. What I'd like to do is, because of time constraints, I'd like to just summarize the first 15 verses of John chapter 5. You will know this story. It's a narrative. There's a man who was crippled and for 38 years was unable to walk. And he laid beside this pool of water that would begin to foamate. It would begin to, uh, spirit would move in it and people would go into it and there was healing powers in it. For year after year, he would go to these pools and no one would help him in the water. And Jesus engaged him and just finally told him, take up your bed and walk without putting him in the water. And the man got up and walked. But reminiscent of Mark chapter 2, where the four friends lowered their buddy through the ceiling to get to Jesus, Jesus told that man who was paralyzed, take up your mat and walk. 
What Jesus does here is he asks us to do things that we can't do by our own power. But because we believe in his authority, we're able to do anything he asks us to do. I want you to note that. There's a recurring theme here, that what God is going to ask us to do, we can't do by our own power, but we can do it by his spirit's power and by his authority. And so he tells this man to get up and walk. For 38 years, he's never been able to walk, but he gets up and he walks. John tells us in the first 15 verses that this was on the Sabbath. If you're watching a bad B movie, right at that moment when the Sabbath was mentioned, you'd hear, dun, dun, dun. And you'd realize that's a significant phrase. Because this crippled man picks up his cot and begins to walk, he's walking on the Sabbath carrying his cot, which the Pharisees had added so much to the law that that was illegal. And they walked up to him and they said, how dare you carry your cot on the Sabbath? And the man says, no, no, you don't understand. That man told me to pick up my mat and walk. I was crippled and now I walk. And they said, yeah, but you're carrying your mat. And he said, I'm walking. And they can't hear it because their authority is being challenged. Their right to tell people how to live their lives was being taken from them. If Jesus was healing on the Sabbath and this man's carrying his cot on the Sabbath, then everyone's going to break up on the Sabbath. See, what I want you to understand is the issue that the Pharisees' religious leaders had with Jesus was there are moments in our lives where Jesus' authority has to be greater than ours. And when we don't give Jesus' authority greater prominence in our life than our own, we sin. Every sin is an issue of telling Jesus his authority cannot be greater than mine. And in this moment, you have this conflict. Let's begin in verse 16. And I need you to, this is kind of a, Jesus is talking in almost legal terms, if you will. There's a lot of clauses and phrases that tie in together. And we'll walk through it in a moment. But as we read it, pay careful attention to what Jesus is saying. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, and I want to pause here. Having grown up in the King James version of the world back a lifetime ago, My Bible used to read, Verily, verily, I say to you. Common translations say, I tell you the truth. I want you to understand that from this moment forward in the Gospels, whenever Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he's saying, your presuppositions about truth are wrong and mine are right. He's saying, pay attention to what I'm teaching you because you have it backwards. You're not paying attention. You need to pay attention from this moment. So we begin again. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. 
and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. What I want to do this morning is take you in this message that's in that gap and show you that not only does Jesus reveal five significant truths about God and God's work, but you will also be able to see when I'm done that what Jesus identifies was important in his life concerning God's work should be also as important in our lives. And this is where the sermon becomes, we have something to do. Let me explain. Let's talk about the work of God. And let me identify briefly the five truths that Jesus reveals about who God is and how God works. The first is, our God is working in our world. Now, for many of us, this is not an important point, but I need you to understand theologically, it is crucial. If you believe that God created the world, sat back in his easy chair, and just watched us crash this thing into oblivion, you've misunderstood who God is. They come to Jesus and they say, it's the Sabbath and you did work. You healed on the Sabbath and you let this man work on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, why not? God works on the Sabbath. God works every day. God's always working. Even in his rest, his work continues. He says to him, verse 17, my father is always at work to this very day. That's not a throwaway line to this very day. He said, God worked today on the Sabbath because God's working all the time. And then Jesus goes on to say, and I too am working. I'm just doing what God does, which is what's getting him in trouble, right? Because he always seems to say, you're after me for things that God does. You're not after God for those same things. And they didn't like the equation he was making. You see, they weren't ignorant. They knew what he was saying. He said, I'm only doing what God does, which may make him to a certain degree equal with God. But please understand, and this is crucial for me, Jesus' activity on earth was not self-initiated. He was only imitating God. Everything he said, everything he did, was simply a response to imitating the actions of God all around him. Second truth we learn. Apart from God, we can do nothing. We can do nothing that matters apart from what God has ordained and what God has brought together in his sovereignty. Verse 19, he says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. You'll notice that Jesus was totally dependent on God. He never acted independently of the Father. That's why we studied two or three weeks ago that upon uh, great moments in his ministry or even before great moments in his ministry, we're going to notice this pattern in Jesus' life. He always went away into the wilderness to spend time with God away from all the noise. He called a time out in the hectic schedule and he spent time with the Father because he never acted independently of God. He submitted himself completely. From the time he left the heavens to come to earth to dwell with us, he said to God, I will do only what you ask me to do. He never self-initiated a thing. He never acted independently of the Father. He constantly said to God, what would you have me do today? Third truth we learn. The work of God is the work we were created for. The works that God does and the dominion he gave Adam and Eve The works that God does every day, even on the Sabbath, are the works that you and I are to participate in. Verse 19, Jesus said, he can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So this is why I'm here, to do the will of the Father, to accomplish his purposes. Jesus positioned himself to know where and when God was working. 
The reason he got away with the Father was so that he could be, and if you'll pardon this expression, I'd like to use it going forward, that Jesus positioned himself at the intersections of other people's lives where God wanted him. Wherever he was, he was looking for someone that God had positioned him there for. Whether it was a woman at a well in Samaria who was there in the middle of the day when she shouldn't have been, and Jesus stopped by the well in the heat of the day without shade and without a bucket to draw water. He sent his disciples into town. He was at the intersection that this one woman would come and it would win an entire town to the kingdom. Or whether he goes by this pool in this unknown town where nobody went. And he sees this man who was crippled for 38 years. He went there because God had directed him there. He went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days because the Spirit led him there. You see, he was about the work that God gave him to do. Jesus joined the Father whenever and however the Father was working. And this was the purpose of his existence. So what we see is that God was working and Jesus was aware of his work. And Jesus was reliant on God to do the things that God wanted him to do. And Jesus told us that he was here because the work of God was the work he was called to do. So we have three of the five truths established. Now we go to the part where the reward comes. If we understand that God is working all around us, and we understand uh, totally that God is giving us the ability and the direction, and we understand that this is why we're here, then there's a beautiful blessing that comes to us. It's the fourth principle that Jesus establishes. To work with God is to see God revealed. In verse 20, to see God revealed. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So let me pause and bring up something here that I think may scratch the itch of some of us in the room. This concept of God is unique to us, and we believe that there is a God. It just seems to make sense. Most people believe there has to be a greater power that brought this all together. It can't just be, maybe God used gases coming together, but it wasn't this independent source that brought all of this life together that's been sustainable for all these thousands of years. So in the midst of that, we say, I I believe in God, I just, I don't know him. I'm going to tell you, I think Jesus gives us some insight. If you want to know God, work with him. Get involved in what God's doing. Don't ask God to get involved in what you're doing. Participate in the work of God and God will be revealed to you. A simple equation for me is this. I love baseball. I love the game of baseball. I like coaching it. I like going to see games. I'll watch most any game on television. It's a baseball game. I even watch the Cardinals for the love. I love baseball that much because the Cubs aren't worth watching right now. But anyway, so I love watching a baseball game, but it is nothing compared to playing in one. And even when I'm coaching, I, was wish, I wish I could be out there. I wish I could have an at-bat. I wish I could do these things. I love that game so much. I love watching cooking shows on television. I'd rather eat what they're cooking, though. I, I love being together at a, a, to hear good music, and I can listen to it on a CD or an MP3, or I can listen to it on Spotify. I can sit in my office and pull up any album I want, listen to the entire album, but nothing beats being at the concert. And oh, I wish I could play what they play. Church, are you with me? There's a difference between being in a room that celebrates there is a God and being a person that experiences God. And unfortunately, we've created a culture where being involved in a group of people who know God seems to be the equivalent of us knowing God. And Jesus said, no, if you want to understand the love and the depth of the Father, get involved in the work. Because in the work, God reveals himself most. 
And then the fifth point is that the Father's work has eternal implications. Eternal implications, not just currently. And one of the things that discourages many believers is that they begin to serve God and all of a sudden they feel like all they're doing is serving God and they don't have a sense of God and they're not having the feelings they want and they're not getting these supposed blessings they're supposed to get for everything they do. And they begin to say, well, I'm, I'm out. Hold on. That there are some things that God rewards in the now, but God will reward everything in the eternal. And it's not just about you and me. It's about others too. What I'd like to do is show you that not only are these eternal implications, but Jesus showed us that through him they would come to us. Let's look at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even though the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Remember the question they had for Jesus? You're acting like you're God. He says, yeah, I'm doing the things that God does. You'd think so, huh? And he he challenges them. Verse 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Remember the question that that brought this together was they saw a man walking. And they said to him, how dare you carry your cot? And he goes, dude, I'm walking. For four decades I laid on the ground. You didn't care about me. Now I walk away with my pellet and you want to ask me whether or not I love God? And Jesus said, you're questioning a man who just walked away after 38 years. You know that God does that. And you're questioning, was I right to do what God does? You see the point, don't you? He says, if you don't believe in the one who sent me, then you won't believe in me. It'll always come back to who we see God is through Jesus Christ. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. This had to be awkward. They were judging Jesus and he's like, no, I'm the only one who gets that power. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. This is Old Testament. This is Jesus saying, God told you one would come and judge. And God told you one would come and perform miracles. And God told you one would come on his behalf, representing the establishment of his kingdom. And all of the religious leaders would have gone, yep, yep. And he said, and it's being done in front of your eyes and you're not amazed, you're angry. Your pride, your position, your authority is questioned and you fight against God. You don't fight against me. The Messiah came on behalf of the Father and they would have known that. So Jesus has established those five principles. God is always working. We can do nothing without God. We're here to do the work of God. By doing the work of God, God becomes more real to us than he's ever been. And it has eternal implications. It matters. So, typically, on a sermon like this, I will have, I I think I would have, effectively showed you in the text those five conclusions. And at this point in time, I'd say, and that's the kind of God we have, and everyone would just pack out and go home and enjoy a beautiful Sunday afternoon. But we're not going to do that today. Because so what? So what that this happened one afternoon? Jesus was questioned and he filleted his audience's logic and he laid them bare and open to the fact that their pride was keeping them from understanding him. And we could all walk away satisfied that, wow, he gave it to them, but what about giving it to us? What are we to do with this truth? Why did the Holy Spirit have John record this so that we could realize Jesus was really smart? Or we'd realize that the power that Jesus came to show is the same power that you and I can have. That those five principles of truth 
are as true for you and I today as they were for Jesus. Let's examine it. The work of God's children. What is the work that Jesus displayed and how does it apply to us? Verse 20, he said, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. And Jesus was saying to the disciples that were gathered around in later text, he will say to them, I'm going to send you out to do the work you've seen me do. And he said, and the church will be the hope. He said, I'm going to build upon your confession. I'm going to build on that rock my kingdom. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. He said, but here's what's going on. That there are going to be greater things. He would say to his disciples, you're going to go do the work. And as disciples and followers of Jesus, it's not just limited to the apostles. It's the work that we're here to do. So let's examine it. How do we take these truths that God's at work in the world? Well, here's what I want to convince you of. Be sure God is at work in the world. What I mean by that is, pay attention. It's not whether or not he is. It's only whether or not we notice. It's only whether or not we commit to it. It's only whether or not we pay attention at all to the work that God's doing. So I have to ask you, is God taking care of all of his earth? Is God overseeing governments? Is God in charge of people, both good and bad? Is the rain falling on the just and the unjust? Is God answering prayers throughout this world? Church, answer me. Is he? Then it's a difference between believing that's true and living as if it's true. It's awaking every day saying, my God is not dead, he's alive. That my God is all-powerful. That my God still answers prayers. That my God still speaks. That my God is still moving in this world. Sometimes I wonder, where are you? But I know he's there, I'm just missing him. It's living with an awareness that what God is doing around us. Second, be available to what God is doing around you. The church can easily on Sunday mornings amen the truth of God and never experience it. That's why we live in community. That's why we pray the Holy Spirit to speak to us. That's why we move in the way we move and we speak. That's the song we sang. When God moves, it drops us to our knees. But for many of us, we walk by God every day. We plow through intersections, inattentive. We, we call on God only when there's a crisis. Not open and aware not seeking the things he's thinking, not looking for the things that God's doing. See, maybe God is doing things around us and we have no idea because we don't wake up every morning and say to God, open my eyes, open my spirit, God speak to me. Don't be surprised when you're walking down the street and you see someone and there's this impression upon your mind that's never been there before that says, say hello to this person. Maybe you're praying in your morning devotion and someone pops in your mind you haven't thought of for months. I'm telling you, respond to that. Reach out to that person that God laid on your heart and don't be surprised when they go, I can't believe you called me today. When you go to work and you say to God, I'm looking for an intersection, Father. Put me in a spot. Put me by a well in the middle of the afternoon or put me by a pool with crippled people. Put me somewhere, God, where I can see somebody who needs to know. You are in the circumstances. You're in the relationships. You're in the jobs. You're in the schools. You're in the places you're in every day where most of us will never go. You're there because God wants to plant you at that intersection to offer the gospel hope to someone who's hurting. We all know people who have been crippled in whatever fashion or metaphor you want to use who have laid there for 38 years with no hope and you are the hope just as Jesus was the hope for this crippled man. 
You know the words of truth. You know the opportunities. God knows what he's doing and God is doing things. Shouldn't we get in on it? See, the third truth is this. Be open and willing because we were created by God for this exact work. God won't make you share the gospel. God won't make you speak to your neighbor. God will only give you reason to. And the reason is the love you've received. Church, if God can love every single one of us the way he does, you will never meet another person he can't love. He's proven what his character and his nature is. He's proven that he's willing to work in the, in the out loud and in the very silent. That God is around us working all the time. That's where we realize why our prayer life matters. Sit in the presence of God and ask him to speak and sit there until he does. And you're like, I don't know, man. I get bored after about 15 minutes because you're doing all the talking. Pick up a cup of coffee or a glass of tea or a diet pop, whatever you do, and sit in a chair until God moves in your heart. Open a passage of scripture and say, God, I see you calling me to this. How can I share this truth today with somebody else? Because I'll tell you, I can, I can document it in my own life. When I actually pay attention to God, I find out how much attention he's paying to me and everybody else. When I'm too busy for God, I'm too busy for my neighbor. And I'm too busy at every intersection I cross. Listen to words like, I'm really struggling with. Huh, sounds like a place for the gospel. You know, something's just missing in my life. It just doesn't seem like everything's good. That's a place for the gospel. When people say, I don't know if my life will ever be the same again, that's a place for the gospel. I'm really afraid of this, or I'm really worried about this, or I'm really nervous about this. That's a place for the gospel. If we will listen, God will direct, because the work that God wants us to do is the work that God does every day. He brings the hope of Jesus Christ into this dark world. So we might have to sacrifice our agendas. We might have to listen. Don't be surprised, too, when you say to God, speak, and he says, okay, turn on the radio. Or we say, God, I want to know you more, and he says, okay, turn off your television. Put your phone down. You don't need the internet. When he says, spend time with your neighbor, go outside, smile at somebody, speak to somebody, reach out to somebody. You see, God's impressions aren't always climb a mountain. Sometimes it's just cross the street. And in these moments, we understand what God is doing. Because we open ourselves, and when we open ourselves, and we're aware that God's working, and we understand that that's why we're here, and we participate in the work of God, then as I told you before, the rewards get to come. Draw closer to God and his work. See, what we understood was that as we do the work of God, we draw closer to his spirit, we draw closer to his heart, and we understand the love of God for us and the love of God for others. So we draw closer to God and his work. We spend time with him. We simply say, listen, it is a frightening thing to share your faith. Why? Because you might get rejected. But you're not the one being rejected. Jesus is the one being rejected. That's why we don't quit. That's why we may not preach a sermon, and many of you will never take a text and and break it out into bite-sized pieces and try to explain it to folks and do this with an entire audience who's respectfully quiet, taking notes and listening. That's not going to happen in your realm, but you were never called to do that. My calling by God is to inspire all of us that God is worth it. Amen? And if I can inspire you today, that inspiration isn't just for you. It's to take into your classrooms. It's to take into your neighborhoods. Oh, for the love, it's to take into our homes. 
where when someone says, I'm scared or I don't know what to do, we say there's a place for the gospel, that Jesus Christ can direct us, that God can lead us, that this is why we're here. And as we draw closer to one another, we draw closer to God. Where there is love, God's presence exists. We just need to bring love into a dark world, don't we? Lastly, be assured that you're here for a reason and that that reason has eternal significance. It matters. You're not here to live a great life. You weren't created by God here to be happy and successful and to have a nice retirement fund and to be able to prepare for yourself in the future. That's one of the biggest forms of idolatry in our culture. I have to take care of my life and get it the way I want it. And then when I have margin, I can bless others. No, no, you misunderstand. We're here to be involved in the work that God is doing in rescuing people so that people who laid on cots for 38 years can walk away whole, healthy, and alive. Amen? We're not here for ourselves because this life will end. But the life that we're entering into in the kingdom will never end. And so why would you trade one that's going to end for one that can never end? And why would you keep one that can never end from someone whose life is only going to end? You see, if I told you God loves you and it's true, your tail might wag. If I told you, come on, we can do better. You're like, ah, yeah, you're right. But when I tell us there's clearly a work to be done and the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus Christ is the same Holy Spirit that wants to empower us. The question is, when the Spirit speaks, will we say yes, sir? Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.